Faced with an uncertain future, many business owners and technology professionals don't have the time needed to invest in their business technology strategies. And as a result, they're afraid of their technology getting outdated and putting their company and customers' information at risk. The digital future is already here, but with all different choices in the marketplace, it's difficult to know which one will be the best fit for you and your strategic vision. Imagine having the peace of mind that your business is backed by the right technology investments that are tailored for your specific needs. Hi, I'm Brian Nichols, and I've helped countless business owners and technology professionals just like you, helping you make informed decisions about what technologies are best to invest in for your business. Voice, bandwidth, cybersecurity, business continuity, juggling all the aspects of business technology is messy. Let me help. Head to briannicholsshow.com forward slash help and sign up for a free one-on-one -on -one consultation with yours truly to dig deep into where you see your company heading and how we can align your business technology towards those goals. Again, that's briannicholsshow.com forward slash help to get your simplified business technology started today. Instead of focusing on winning arguments, we're teaching the basic fundamentals of sales and marketing and how we can use them to win in the world of politics, teaching you how to meet people where they're at on the issues they care about. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. Well, happy Friday there, folks. Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show, and thank you for joining us on, of course, another fun-filled episode. I am, as always, your humble host, and today... We're going to be talking about policing in America as it pertains to race. We've got this blue divide that's out there. And talking about that, Will Moravitz, he's joined the program. Will, welcome to the Brian Nichols Show. Hello, how, uh, good to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, Will. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, you're, you're here to talk about a very important uh, issue that we're all facing right now in America. And it has been really growing over the past few years. And we saw this with the, uh, the deaths of Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, the list seemingly just kept getting longer and longer and longer. And it's gotten to the point where I think your average person has in fact woken up that there is maybe a little bit of a disconnect between policing in America and race in America. So you wrote a brand new book, The Blue Divide, Policing and Race in America. And you're joining us today to dig into that. But before we get there, Will, let's do a quick introduction to the Brian Nichols Show audience. Who are you and what got you into this world of policing and race? Well, uh, I am a political science professor for St. Phillips College, uh, taught at Texas State University previously as well. Uh, but quite a while ago, in my 20s, I spent a few years as a police officer in San Marcos, Texas, uh, and so I've always been intrigued by this subject and, you know, aware of the perception of police that, you know, they they're, they might be, you know, biased one way, you know, against uh, African-Americans in particular. Um, but about eight years ago, I started to really look into uh, this particular subject. Uh, it was after the death of Eric Garner uh, and then uh, Michael Brown, both in 2014. And that's when the Black Lives Matter movement really hit the national consciousness uh, and I, I followed all these different things. And, and then after George Floyd was murdered in 2020, the rhetoric around policing and de defunding the police and, you know, abolish the police by some people and just this anti-cop rhetoric, you know, I thought something, somebody needs to, to do something about this. And, and so I thought, why not me? You know, so uh, because the reality is, I think the the narrative of policing and race uh, is, is, patently false uh, that the police target uh, black people, especially in deadly force situations. Um, and so, so I wanted to kind of bring some of the stuff I teach in my class to, to the rest of America, which is a, a very 
brief crash course and to police training, what the law is, what the, what the uh, philosophical underpinnings of that training is uh, so that people get a better understanding of what, what it's like to be a cop and what, what things that they have to think of and, 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 you know, take into consideration whenever they're in, they encounter somebody uh, as part of their job. Uh, and then I, I go straight through, you mentioned Brown and Taylor and George Floyd. I go str- from, from Eric Garner all the way through, uh, see the last one I think that's included might've been Micaiah Bryant, um, who of course was shot and killed the day that Derek Chauvin was found guilty of murdering George Floyd. And I kind of explain, uh, the law and use of force and how it pertains. And, uh, the vast majority of them, I say, you know, these, you may disagree that these people should not have been killed, but legally they're justified. You know, there's only one that was not legally justified. That was George Floyd. Uh, There was another one that, you know, a couple other ones that, you know, based on training or maybe mistakes uh, made, you know, might have changed the outcome. But by and large, these police are doing what they were trained to do and what the law requires of them. Uh, And then I went in and and did a lot of the, you know, the the academic research and talked about uh, what the data actually says on this topic, Uh, not what you see on the news, but with with the actual academic research, uh, government reports and things of that nature. So I just threw all that, you know, kind of uh, together so that the, you know, a reader could, could pick up the book. It's not terribly long. It's about 190 pages. Uh, it's written in a very conversational style. Um, it's easy to read, uh, but I think it's really going to be helpful for people on both sides of this issue. So the people that are, you know, supportive of police, it's going to give them the information and the tools that they need to help better express why they support police. But on the other side, uh, the people that, that do not support police or the people that believe maybe they, they personally support police, but they believe police are biased or racist or whatever, uh, that they read this book and, and, you know, maybe open up, uh, you know, new ideas and, and, you know, hopefully make, make things better for everybody. Yeah. Well, it's been tough, right? Because the past two years, especially, it's been pretty much divided into two camps. You either have, you raise the fist, Black Lives Matter, or you got the the thin blue line flag, right? And there doesn't seem to be the ability for either side to talk to each other. It seems in many cases, we're talking past each other. And I think right there speaks to the importance of your book. And I mean, frankly, a lot of it, as you pointed out rightfully, has been stoked up by the media. And this has been done in, I would say, at least since 2015, really, with the Michael Brown case, when the the narrative, the, the hands up, don't shoot, became a national, you know, cry. And then, long story short, find out, it ended up not being the case at all when you go into what right. actually happened. And I think right there, and I would love to hear your perspective on this, but right there, we see one of the main problems is the fact that there is such a desire, and it seems to be targeted from a political purpose on behest of the media to bring these issues of policing and race to the American public and and really stoke up the the incensed anger towards our our law enforcement. And now are there examples where law enforcement has gone far too far and and they have used deadly force when it was not necessary? Absolutely. And we will 100% of the time, call those cases out. As a matter of fact, we have over 400 shows here in the program to go back and look through that. But it is important also to 
focus on the police officer. And, and you brought this up as well. In many cases, these these individuals, this is what they were trained to do. And number two, they I, I say it, it sounds so like dismissive, but they don't know better, if that makes sense, because you're set into this one paradigm of this is the rules of engagement, if you will, as a law enforcement officer. And right. it's unfortunate because you see a lot of these situations turn into use of deadly force, or when they do get to that use of deadly force, then the media comes in and they try to frame it in as unflattering of a light as possible towards that member of law enforcement. So I think there's there's definitely uh, there's there's a an instigation factor here being put at behest of the media. Now that's my you know me and my soapbox. Will you're the one who wrote the book. What are your thoughts? Well, I know I would agree. Um, first, let me back up just a little bit and and let the the listener or viewer know that I am completely aware of the racist history of police in this country, especially in the South. You know, leading you know, uh, but what I'm talking about is policing really since the 1990s when community policing became became the norm and how you were trained. Uh, but you know, because of of the past that America's had with the civil rights movement and Jim Crow laws and and just all of these different struggles that various groups, uh, you know, have to had to go through uh, to gain their equal rights and, and what have you. I think because of that, the media understands that race sells. Um, one of the things I point out in my book is the number of white people killed in almost exactly the same circumstances. Hmm. Uh, there's a, a, a gentleman who I, I write about in that chapter who died almost exactly like George Floyd did. No one knows his name. Right. No, I mean, it was on video, it, it, you know, and he wasn't even a criminal like Floyd obviously was called because he had broken the law. This guy was having a mental health breakdown and called 911 for help ends up on his stomach and handcuffs dead. Wow. Um, you know, and, and so but the media doesn't care about that. They don't talk about those issues. And, and they, they really a lot of times don't even talk about, uh, you know, black people that are killed, not by police. Um, one of the, the cases, it was right around all this time when a lot of these protests and stuff were going around, going on a couple of years ago, a 10 year old girl named Jaslyn Adams was, was executed with her father uh, while they were in the drive through line at McDonald's. There were no protests, there were no marches, there was no calls for justice um, because the person who killed them was another black person. It wasn't a cop, right? So, you know, I think the media understands, you know, that they, they want to get the, the sensational headline out. They want to be first. Uh, and, and we as a society, I think, are just so used to, you know, the, the, the social media generation, right? We just kind of, we hear hands up, don't shoot. And we think, oh, that's terrible. And then we never follow up and see where his hands really up. Did he say don't shoot? Which, you know, if you read the Department of Justice report, again, this is done by Eric Holder, uh, President Obama's attorney general, state of Missouri did an investigation. And they both found that his hands were not up. He was not saying don't shoot, was actually charging the officer and had previously attempted to take the officer's gun. Uh, and this was relayed by multiple witnesses, uh, many of whom are African-American. Uh, but the, the TV media never put them on, on on TV. The only person they put on TV was his friend, Dorian Johnson, who, who said he had his hands up saying don't shoot. Uh, and, and you're right. It, it, I remember the St. Louis Rams well, at the time of St. Louis Rams. Players came out with their hands up and a whole panel on MSNBC did it one night, but you don't go back, back and say, Oh, it turns out we were wrong. Um, 
And, and it's led to this kind of jumping to conclusions. Um, I mentioned the death of Mackay Bryant uh, a little bit earlier. And of course, she was killed again, right as Derek Chauvin's verdict was being read. Uh, and, and no less than LeBron James, the most famous basketball player on earth, uh, tweets a picture of Officer Reardon, a 23-year-old officer who shot and killed Mackay Bryant, uh, with the caption, you're next exclamation point. Right. And he ended up deleting it saying, well, you took it out of context. I was saying you're, you're, you're not going to be the next one killed, but he was, I think he was kind of saying you're going to be the next Derek Chauvin, right. To go to prison. But the reality is, is you look at that incident. It was just jumping to conclusions. Yep. She was in the middle of trying to stab to death another black girl. So one black girl was going to die that day. It was either going to be Micaiah Bryant shot by the police, or it was going to be this, this person who was being violently assaulted. Uh, you know, so did, did her black life not matter? Right. I mean, why, why are we focusing on Makai Bryant who literally, you know, pardon my French, but said, I'm going to fucking stab you. You know, that that's what he officer shows up. She's chasing somebody with a knife yelling that, and then starts to push her up against the car and about to stab her. And what, what is he supposed to do? Just be like, wait a minute. Who, who was it that called? You know, you don't have the time for that. Uh, and, and, you know, I, and that particular incident, um, CNN, I'll give them credit. Uh, Don Lemon and Chris Cuomo uh, kind of said, you know, uh, what, what else is a cop supposed to do in that situation? But then you had other people that were like, well, fire a warning shot, shoot him in the hand. I think I forget which politician said, why don't you shoot him in the hand? I'm like, that's nearly impossible, especially in a, in a high stress situation. And so people just don't understand what it's like out there. Uh, and that was another big reason why I wanted to write the book is to kind of give them a little glimpse into you know, what, what has to go through an officer's mind every time they encounter somebody who's resisting mm. and, and what they have to factor into it. But yeah, the media, I think definitely makes it worse. So one thing you, you brought up there, and I'm sure this has been, you know, racing through the heads of the audience that they've listened to that is, I, I, I think you're talking about Joe Biden. Did he say like, shoot him in the knee or something like that? Go yeah, I, I was pretty sure it was President Biden. I didn't, I didn't want to say, you know, 100%, but. Oh, Uncle Joe. Um, uh, but like, there is that, that instinctive desire for people to say, well, what about the nonviolent or the less violent means? And we've seen, especially in the advent of newer technologies, that there are tools out there that law enforcement can utilize that maybe aren't as black and white as using a gun and having the ramifications of using a gun. Is there... And I'm asking also from your experience as a police officer, do you see that with the newer technologies that maybe this is an area that we could start to go towards to eliminate a lot of these instances where black individuals are being shot by police officers and then having them pass away? But if we were to have a nonviolent mean or not violent, but a less lethal means to subdue those, those individuals, that maybe these media stories become null and void at the onset. Yeah, well, you're you're on the right track. I think there's other again. These are some things you have to consider. Uh, you're, I'm assuming you're referring to tasers. Uh, Ta I mean, tasers, tasers are out there. There's uh, the the beanbag, uh, like shotgun beanbag things. Like there's so right. Yeah, like the laser. Like, can you use lasers now? Like lightsabers almost. We're going to like Star Wars. Wow, <laughs> that'd be great. I I mean, that wasn't around when I was a cop, but. Uh, we did have tasers and, you know, beanbag shotguns, things of that nature. But what you have to understand, so like, for example, if I was called on, on a situation that I, I thought might be 
physically harm, you know, dangerous to me or to an, a person. Ideally, you would have your partner, you know, your backup there with you. One of you would have a gun. One of you would have the taser. You would you would want to shoot the taser first and to have the gun kind of as backup. A lot of times, though, it's just one officer and there's not time to to do these things. And so when you look at the taser, which is which is controversial in of itself, you know, my old police chief also has a Ph.D. now and he, he's a professor of criminal justice up at Texas State. And uh, he's written several peer-reviewed articles about the uses of tasers and, and, and things, but they have a bad rap too. Uh, but let me give you a, for instance, uh, example. Let's say I come across somebody, um, I get called, there's a man with a knife and he's about 10, 15 feet away from me. And I pull my taser out and he decides to charge me and I shoot. And let's say that I miss one of the prongs. Well, that's your only shot with a taser. You have to reload the cartridge after that. Um, and by the time you've done that, you're stabbed to death. Um, people understand that you can close the distance on someone. You know, there's a, a, a kind of a drill I would show my students. Um, it, it takes a couple of principles about how, how far away do you have to be to be safe from a knife attack? Most people say five feet, 10 feet. Really, it's 28 feet. Uh, because at anything less than 28, the average person can close that distance and stab the officer before the officer can draw their weapon, aim and fire. Uh, and that's because of something called action is fashion reaction. So so basically what's going on is you orient yourself, you observe, uh, you decide and you act, right? It's called the OODA loop. And so that other person has already decided I'm going to run at this cop and stabbing. So he or she has already gone through that whole process before the officer even begins it. So there's that delay, that reaction time delay. And every time I would do this, I, I would tell my students, okay, go 21 feet away from me and stand there. I'd give them like a pin or something. And I say, okay, as soon as you start moving, I'm going to draw my weapon, I'm, which were my, my keys in my pocket. And I would point them at you. And of course I tell them, I know he's going to run at me because this is, this is the drill. Uh, cops don't always know that. Well, every single time I've ever done that, regardless if it's a big dude or little girl, you know, small girl, I don't mean little, like, you know, but a small stature girl, they always reach me before I either at the same time or before I'm able to, to point aim and fire. Um, and so people have to understand these types of things. You know, we, we look at movies and movies don't do the profession much, uh, help either because, you know, TV shows and movies that you're either, you know, you're like Bruce Willis who never misses and, you know, do all these great things and die hard and you're just unkillable, you know, or you have these situations like in Criminal Minds, which is one of my all time favorite shows. But like at the end of every episode, there's the bad guy, right? The unsub about to kill somebody and they start talking to him, like trying to talk him down. That's not real life. Um, you know, you, you can't do that because your job is to protect that person. And the, the more hesitation you, you do, the, greater chance that they're going to get hurt or killed. Um, But I do think overall to kind of get back to your original point that yes, tasers and other less lethal means are good tools. The the thing is they are limited. uh, And in in the use of force continuum, what we call the officer is always allowed to be one level higher than the other than the the person that, that they're dealing with. So if they're using, you know, a baseball bat, that's deadly force. I'm not going to pull a taser on you because again, you miss and you're in a, in a lot of trouble. Um, 
tasers are typically for non, you know, people that are non-compliant to, you know, maybe they're under arrest and you say, turn around, put your hands behind your back. And they're like, you know, F you or whatever you can tase them depending on the department, tase them right there. And that puts them in a situation where you can get them handcuffed relatively easily without having to go hands-on because once you put your hands on somebody who's going to resist the chances of someone getting hurt or killed, uh, go up substantially. So the, the taser is a good way, but you have to use it at those lower levels. You can't, you know, pull a taser when somebody's got a gun or a knife or they're about to to stab or kill somebody because it's not meant for that and it's not effective at doing at stopping anything at that point. What about so we we you mentioned two of these cases and we saw them it was Eric uh Garner and George Floyd uh most recently. And in those two examples it was where these individuals had been detained and they were being held by police officers. Eric Garner's case, I believe, it was a chokehold. And with George Floyd, it was the knee to the back of the neck. And in both cases, both men passed away from, I believe it was either, was it loss of oxygen or, or a heart attack or something? They were both not in good health either, which definitely right. added to problems. Um, but with that being said... I think back, there was a video I saw, you know, just scrolling through the interwebs, and it was a police officer trying to subdue a gentleman, and he's just, he's struggling. This guy, you know, this guy is easily, you know, pound for pound match with the police officer, and the guy's pretty jacked, so the police officer's struggling, and all of a sudden, just this scrawny 120 pound guy walks in, and he's like he's a jujitsu guy and he just comes right. in and he's able to like, Hey, we're going to grab his arm, put some leverage. And within five minutes, he and the officer were able to get this guy into a position where they would get handcuffs on him. Right. No necessary. And, and actually there's one part in the video where he goes, Hey, Hey, he, he's, he's, he's not able to do anything. Take your knee off, take your knee off. And you watch that video. And I think your average person will see that and say, See how easy it is? See how, like, why, why are we having this happen more frequently than not? So right. maybe it's it's too much of a simplification, but would it make more sense to have more of that type of training towards police officers versus being, in, and I'm saying more for in this example, right? Not We're not going back to the situation where baseball bat versus taser, but more so we have the, the suspect, they're in, the, they're in the, the means of getting apprehended, is it possible to maybe go more towards a less lethal route that way by just learning newer means of actually subduing the, the the suspect? Right. Well, you know, just because someone's resisting does not mean that you can shoot them. I mean, the, 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 if they're just resisting arrest, they're defensively resisting, or maybe they're pushing you, 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 you don't have any, any authority at all or whatever uh, to use deadly force at that point. Um, but, you know, in the, in the, example you gave, um, and I write about this in my book is that cops, especially in today's, you know, world where MMA is a very popular sport, very fast growing need to learn some of these things. And I think if they're more confident they are in their skills, the less likely they are to panic and then to move on to higher levels of force. Mm. Uh, I, I will tell you that I, I did mixed martial arts for about four years, um, pretty heavily three, four day, days a week, several hours a day. And when I first got in there, you know, I had been a cop. I was in good shape. I was like, okay, I can handle myself, right? I mean, everybody thinks they can handle themselves. I went in there on day one and uh, boxed a guy who'd been, he's like, 30, he's my age, about 32, 33. Uh, but he'd been boxing since he was like nine. I did not lay a finger on him. As hard as I tried, I could not punch him. 
And, and he was just t- punching me whenever he felt like it. Like he wasn't even trying. And that really opened my eyes like, holy cow, this is fighting in real life is way different than it is on TV. Um, and, you know, a month, a, a year and a half later, I remember a guy, a Marine, a Marine of all people came in and wanted to, to do a little sparring and it was the roles reversed. He never laid a finger on me and I punched him so many times he gave up he verbally said I quit <laughs> um, because you know, you see on TV and people fight. That's all that, that scrawny guy you're talking about. Yeah. He probably did have some sort of jujitsu and, and that's a really good tool um, for a lot of, a, a lot of uh, officers to do, whether it be wrestling or, or some kind of ground game, because a lot of fights end up on the ground and it is good that you can get some leverage. You can get, you know, different things like that. Um, but some of the police departments don't allow for some of those um, moves. Um, I was trained in something. It's basically a, a, an arm triangle, uh, to, to, you know, get somebody under control. Some departments won't let you use that. Uh, and it's a blood choke. If you know anything about jujitsu, um, it's a blood choke. You're not, it's not that you can't breathe. It's that blood to your brain is being cut off and then you pass out. Um, in the case of Eric Garner, he was in that, that kind of rear naked choke hold for maybe eight to 10 seconds, if I remember correctly. Uh, and then, you know, the coroner's report on Eric Garner said that because he was severely obese, uh, he had a heart condition, whatever, that, that that's the reason why he died. It had nothing to do with what Officer uh, uh, Pantelano did. Um, although that particular officer did get eventually fired, I believe, by New York P- uh, PD. It was because that that was a move you weren't supposed to use. Um, now, when it comes to George Floyd, there is a technique and the, the Minneapolis police training manual uh, had it. I was trained in it where when you were going to handcuff somebody and on their stomach in the, what called a prone position, you can't put your knee like at the top, you know, the base where your, your neck kind of meets your spine really. And you, you, you have that kind of bump right there at the top, the bottom of your neck. Yeah. But it's only, it's only meant to get them in handcuffs. Um, I talked to a lot of police officers, a lot of uh, experts and because I could not think of a single reason why he would have his knee on Floyd's neck for more than maybe 10, 10, 15 seconds right. at most. Um, so that's definitely something that uh, injustice was served, right? All four officers were fired the next day. Chauvin is going to spend the rest of his life in prison. Um, I would not be surprised if that's a pretty short life because he's going to be target number one in prison. Um, the other officers are, I think their trials are, you know, in, in the works, but um so again, you're right, but it, it kind of depends on the circumstance, you know, and that's that's the part that uh, that can get tricky. But I do think, and I write about this in my book, that cops can do a better job of training physically, eating better, things like that, so that they don't feel panic. Because when you feel panic, when you're on the ground and you've never fought somebody you panic. And that's when you might pull your, your you know, your taser, your gun or something because you're panicking. Um, some of the officers I worked with were really into mixed martial arts and they never had a problem fighting somebody because they knew they could take them without having to resort to anything. Right. They, they, if they were on their back with somebody on top of them, they didn't panic because they knew what to do. Um, you know, of course that takes time and money, <laughs> you know, um, it, being a cop's hard enough on your family. And now you're going to say, okay, now four hours a week, you're going to be training this jujitsu stuff. Um, but it's necessary. It could, it could be the the difference between the officer's life um, or, or even the subjects, you know, it can save one or both lives. 
uh, by being a little bit better at, uh, at that, kind of utilizing those other techniques, like you mentioned. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the reality is there are some cases where deadly force is the only option. It's funny when you go back to the the conversation about bettering yourself, and, and in this case, physically bettering yourself. I mean, how is how is it that that seems to be the answer for, in this case, policing uh, to protect yourself against COVID, um, just to be the best version of yourself? I mean, like across the board, physical fitness, uh, mental fitness, it's so important, and I think you know that's a great starting off point. Is I mean, cops and police in general, you you have now tools if you can to start getting better in, in those different areas. I mean, I look at all my sales team, uh, you know, they can t- take the training that I give them every single day, or they can go above and beyond, watch the podcast, go and, you know, do the extra courses, do the seminars. And those are the people who they, they just absolutely knock it out of the park. So I think we're going to see almost a similar uh, situation here as we're moving towards the, uh, the future here in the, the world of policing. Um, and, and with that being said, I know you, you kept on bringing it back. This is all in your book. And this is actually the title of today's episode, the blue divide policing and race in America. Now, will unfortunately, we are already hard pressed for time, which caught me off guard. But uh, I want to make sure we give you. I know that went fast, um, but I want to give you the last uh, last word here, and, and specifically number one, words of wisdom for the audience. Number two, um, if you want to tie a nice bow on this episode, something you want the audience to take away, and then number three, the most important, because I'm a sales guy at heart, call to action. Where can folks go ahead and get the blue divide, and uh, also go ahead and support you? Okay, well, uh, you know to. What I would like viewers to take away from this um, is that it it's very complicated. It's not a black and white situation, part of the pun. Um, officers at, at many times can do better um, individually. They can do better in their job. Uh, but the community needs to understand that if, if we really want to have safe communities, if we really want to have good relationships between police and the communities they serve, you got to get past all these lies and these myths Um and, and realize that there are human beings behind the, each badge. There's fathers and wives and mothers and brothers and children, you know, that these people have families uh, and they're just trying to do the best that they can do. And they're trying to get home at the end of the shift. Um, you know, and, and I think that officers, not just physically, but mentally, you know, you've got to prepare yourself, you know, you've got to imagine every situation and imagine yourself surviving, right. It's, it's that kind of mind over matter type of deal. Uh, but but you're right. I mean, physical fitness is, is a big part of it, especially, like I said, with MMA growing, a lot of the people you encounter now are going to know how to fight. Uh, so, you know, um, but I, I really just hope that, that this book will will move towards uh, bridging the gap um, between uh, communities of color and police, uh, healing some of that that tension um, and just understanding that we're all trying to, to do the best we can to, to make the world a safer place. Uh, and, you know, you can support me. This book is on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, pretty much any of the major retailers. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, my handle is WMoravitz23. Uh, that's WMoravitz23. Um, reach out to me, you know, even if you don't buy my book and whatever, you just want to direct message me and ask me some questions. I'd be more happy to, to engage with you uh, because my, my goal is to make, make this better uh, because I do believe that Black Lives Matter, but I believe all Black Lives Matter. Um, I believe that, that everybody can do a little bit better job, but communication is the first step. 
Amen. Cannot agree more. And with that, folks, we'll make it as easy as possible for you to go ahead and not only catch the blue divide, but also you can go ahead and follow William. All you have to do is click the artwork in your podcast catcher. It'll bring you to today's episode where you can find the entire episode, all the uh, the social media links, uh, where you can go ahead and find the blue divide. And also, how about this? The entire transcript of today's episode. And, oh, by the way, all 460 plus episodes of the Brian Nichols Show. But with that being said, Will Moravitz, the blue divide, policing and race in America. Thanks for joining the Brian Nichols Show. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe. Want to help us reach more people? Give the show a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. Find us at briannicholsshow.com and download the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow me on social media at bnicholsliberty and consider donating to the show at briannicholsshow.com forward slash support. The Brian Nichols Show is supported by viewers like you. Thank you to our patrons, Daryl Schmitz, Michael Lima, Mitchell Mankiewicz, Cody Johns, Craig DaCosta, and the We Are Libertarians Network. This is renegade statesman Eric Brakey, host of Free America Now, a podcast for people ready to strike down tyranny. As a former state legislator who knows how the political machine works, I lead every episode with a free-range discussion alongside thinkers, activists, and policymakers. People like Tom Woods, Hannah Cox, and WWE superstar and Knox County Mayor Glenn Kane Jacobs on just how to free America now. New episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, and you can find Free America Now on your favorite podcasting app. So be sure to subscribe, unless you're a communist, in which case I understand why you wouldn't really like the show. Furthermore, my opinion is the Federal Reserve should be destroyed, so let's free America now.